Small business is big in West Texas, fueled by a special breed of entrepreneurs. They sow seeds of hard work and rely on each other to grow. They're all connected by a common thread that creates the character of our community, and they keep us moving forward. And no one brings small business together like First Bank and Trust. At First Bank and Trust, you get more than a bank. You get a network across this entire community. Take a step with the bank that knows how to make small business a bigger deal. On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey there, howdy. Thanks for tuning in, telling friends that you hang out right here on the other side of Texas, grinning ear to ear that you join us, Jay West, Texas Leeson, as we do roll along on air and online, our Facebook, if you hadn't checked that out lately, really taken off, uh, make you laugh and think a little bit there on the other side of Texas on Facebook. We are broadcasting from the studio studios that made buddy holly famous and waylon jennings smoked things uh things of which uh, residue still remains on the walls big show for you today ross ramsey our friend texas tribune gonna chime in and we're gonna get into the legislative weeds except ross ramsey it's always like texas legislature 101 so if uh, you want a better understanding of state politics ross ramsey ahead then we'll get into some tech talk with Mike Bazaar, some technology talk with Mike Bazaar. Got my bracket ready to go. I got tech going to the Final Four. Losing in the Final Four to Michigan State. Uh, just so you know, I'll put that up on Twitter here in a bit. But what I want to start with is... <clears throat> The story of Jay Leeson and Charles Perry is quite complicated and has not always been the most healthy. I've been critical of the senator in years past, in legislatures past. I thought he took roads that were not roads that were good for rural Texas and rural Texas's future. It's never been personal. It's simply been policy and standing up for place in a Senate that doesn't see much of a role for rural Texas most of the time. And I thought that, uh, to be frank, that he's cowtailed to that at times. Uh, uh, the demise of rural Texas. But I'm going to stop right now and tell you that there needs to be some praise of the Senator, of Senator Charles Perry. And his staffers listening right now, I'm sure, are on high alert that I'm going to turn this around into some sort of parody. I am not. The senator deserves praise. This was the senator, this was yesterday at the state senate. It's a health and human services hearing. And we have talked extensively on this program about the demise of rural hospitals and you know, how can you live in a place if you don't have access to health care? And a lot of the problem, bottom line, with rural hospitals is that there are Medicaid patients who are treated and the hospitals do not get a good return on the care that patients received, Medicaid patients received. They essentially weren't reimbursed for the cost of service. And it tears away at margins, and very small margins, in rural health care. And here's Charles Perry, and I'll let you hear him in his own words because it deserves to be heard. Uh, I Again, I've been critical when I, deserve, when I think it deserved criticism, but I'm going to be fair, and I'm even going to praise Senator Perry right here. Senator Perry, Charles Perry, out of Lubbock. For this, I'm going to let you listen to a couple of minutes, maybe three or four minutes of testimony that he gave in a bill that he's put up in the state Senate because it deserves to be heard. Here's Charles Perry going to bat for rural hospitals. In Chair and members, thank you for the opportunity to lay out Senate Bill 170. Uh, members, we do a lot of things 
uh, under the pink dome when we're down here every two years and uh, most of them are hopefully uh, life-changing and important uh, I would suggest to you that Senate Bill 170 is probably one of the most important bills that most people probably would not understand or appreciate unless they deal with rural hospital care. 21 rural hospitals have closed in Texas since not January of 2013. 21. Despite a long-standing legislative intent that rural hospitals be paid their cost or near cost to treat Medicaid patients, in recent years we have drifted all, so far off that course that HHSC now estimates that rural hospital underpayments to be well in excess of $100 million a year or $200 million a biennium all funds. $100 million a in year. In 1993, following a similar wave of rural hospital closures, the legislature placed a rider in the budget requiring that rural and small hospitals be paid the cost to treat Medicaid patients. The action worked. The rural hospital closures in Texas dropped dramatically. One reason for the underpayment comes from the transitional to managed care private insurance companies. The base payments that HHSC asked the MCOs to follow for rural hospitals was based on 2010 cost data. Rural hospitals cannot continue to absorb this underpayment. Besides the closures, more rural hospitals are ceasing delivery and labor services because of the underpayment. One of, of the 161 rural hospitals, only 66 now provide baby delivery and more planning to end those services. Senate Bill 170 will direct HHSC and state law codifying, rather than just a budget rider, that rural hospitals are to be paid substantially close to their cost to treat Medicaid patients so that when we can stem the tide of current rural hospital closures and ceasing labor and delivery service in rural Texas. So here we've got Charles Perry saying that all these hospitals have closed. We want no longer to recommend that they are reimbursed, but we want it codified in law that rural hospitals will be reimbursed, and it just gets better. The substitute differs from the original file version in that sub reverts back to current prospective payments with a contingency that true cost reimbursements get implemented in 2022, subject to federal approval of the change. Members... I've got 39 rural health care hospitals in my district. I'm the largest of the 161. I have 39. It's safe to say that 10 of those will no longer be open by the time we come, ne come back next session, possibly more, uh, if we don't do what the state has said it's supposed to do for years now, and that's reimburse Medicaid at cost. It's been an extremely frustrating process over the last few sessions because the, quote, cost was undeterminate or best guess or woefully understated for years. Thus, we have had more closures and probably more on the horizon. This is one of those bills that it's really not an option not to pass it through the system with a rudder that's currently in uh, discussion at Article 2. I'm understanding that would be uh, implemented to fund rural health care hospitals. Let me give you a little bit of a history on the payment activity. Um, in March of 2017, HHSC estimated that it was a $66 million number, and understanding that that's the, the federal portion of that is somewhere between 50 and 60%, depending on the FMAP. In September 2017, Commissioner then stated that at the worst case scenario, we were shorting our rural health care $66 million, which still is a large number. Today, because of pushing, the HHSC estimate is $170 million of all funds currently not being funded to our rural health care hospitals. So there you go. There you go. This is live radio. You're not dreaming. This is Jay West Texas Leeson saying, boy, Charles Perry, boy, going out there, give him his applause. And getting it done. Now, look, better late than never. Maybe last session. Okay. Now you're just playing around with me. Maybe last session. Um, something like this could have 
stopped again the sessions are every other year uh through jam yeah, kind of january through may and maybe something could have been done to mitigate the loss that's going to be incurred over the last over the next couple of years but here he is stepping up to the mic and you know i've heard people say to me who who watched this yesterday as i was watching where is Charles Perry and what did they do with him and who is this man that looks just like him I think that it may be a senator who's come in to understand that not everything in that Republican platform not all the lamplight ideology bears out during daylight and here's Charles Perry stepping forward and I think it's to be commended and that's how I wanted to just start the program is by saying in all the acrimony that you hear right now, uh, the president going after dead John McCain, um, Democrats saying the most deplorable things, no pun intended, <clears throat> Republicans, the acrimony out there, I wanted to clear the air and say I think that uh, Charles Perry's done a great job over the last 24 hours. And nothing to do with vet school, nothing, and that's not to take away from any work he's done on the vet school. It's just to say that here is a senator representing his district. And what can you say but what we always say, like former Speaker Pete Laney, every time the gavel hit the dais, members vote your district, and he's giving the state the opportunity to vote its interest. And so way to go. Charles Perry, Ross Ramsey coming up after a quickie break as we roll along right here on the other side of Texas. Your text 806-745-5800. See you in a couple of It's loud enough, you gotta yell now. The whole thing hits me like a song. The pretty won't last Appreciate Mullen Horton Brown, LLP. Somebody else that we appreciate a great deal on this program is the one and only Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Ross Ramsey, thank you, bud. Appreciate you making time. From you, whatever. I can't see you, actually. Well, I kind of cut you off there. Didn't hit the right button on time. I appreciate <laughs> you making time. Glad to be here. Uh so we got lots of things we want to get in with you. Um, or should we up sales taxes in order to mitigate property tax losses in the state? Um, but where I want to start with you is bigger stages require better candidates, and that is two Texas candidates running for governor, Julian Castro and uh, Beto O'Rourke. What do you make of their races thus far, Ross Ramsey? Well, you know, this, this happens whenever anybody tries to move up the political ladder. You find out whether they're good enough for the next stage. You know, some people make pretty good governors and terrible presidential candidates. You know, the, we've seen that over and over in history. And we have two guys here. One of them has been a mayor of uh, one of the biggest cities in the country and a member of the Obama cabinet. The other one has been a city councilman in El Paso and a member of Congress. And they're stepping onto the biggest stage in American politics, a, a, a run for president of the United States. And we're going to find out, I think, in rapid order about these guys and really about everybody else on the Democratic side of the race, where there's so many candidates, whether they're up to the game. Are you surprised that um, I don't think we saw Ben O'Rourke have such a hard time over the course of the entire Senate campaign as he's had coming out of the gates? That's not to say that it's it's hurt him, but the op research has just been staggering. It must be staggering for the O'Rourke people. Well, there's more money in this race. There are more competitors in this race. Uh, the people in this race are probably better con competitors than, certainly, than he had in the Democratic primary when he was running for U.S. Senate. He ran against Sam Hernandez and Ed Kilgore, neither of whom anybody in Texas has heard of. They have neither one had held office before. So now you're in a race with a dozen and a half of the nation's most formidable Democrats, whatever you make of that. And, you know, you're going to get um, a lot more serious competition. And you're also, particularly in O'Rourke's case, um, 
you know, he raised more money for his Senate race than anybody in American history. So all of the other candidates in this presidential race are going to look at him and be thinking, don't let this guy get any traction. Let's hit him as early as we can, as hard as we can, try to knock him out of the race, because, you know, it really is a winner-take-all race, and, and they're going to fight hard. I think he's, I think he, um, he got a bit of welcome to the major leagues there. Uh, what do you, so let's say Ross Ramsey is executive editor of Reuters, and you find out that you sat on a story through the whole Senate campaign about Beto O'Rourke hacking in his teenage years, whatever one wants to make of teenage years, but nonetheless has participated in hacking. What do you do with that, Ross Ramsey? I would be pretty unhappy with a reporter who'd been sitting on a story. Um, you know, um, you know, I don't know the exact particulars of that, but, you know, that's definitely a situation where the reporter's got some explaining to do. Um, you know, um, I don't know what to say beyond that. I, I you know, it, it's clearly it, it's clearly not exactly not the way you want things to run in a newsroom. Yeah, Ross Ramsey. You know, I mean, the, the general rule is the minute something's ready to run, run it. Yeah, and so. we're late. And it, it it was even supposed to be held for a book that's coming out in. Uh, June is that right? But it, it leaked. Yeah, early. if it you know, and it, and frankly, if they had held till June, if they had honored that deal, you know, I I still have some issues with it, but it's more of a normal deal. You know, there's, it's often the case that a big publication like you know, back in the days of the big news magazines, that Time or Newsweek would take a couple of writers to go inside presidential campaigns with the idea of writing a book after the campaigns were over that was like an insider autopsy of, you know, the making of a president type books, like the the Teddy White book. And, you know, they play under different rules. When you do that, you say, I'm going to go into your campaign, you're going to give me access other reporters don't have, and that might be damaging to your campaign if I revealed it during the campaign. But the deal is I'm writing a book for after and I won't reveal it now. At the same time, my organization has reporters who are covering your campaign on a daily basis, and they're on their own. I mean, we've seen deals like that over the years. Um, and if Reuters had a, had had a deal like that, I don't know what their deal was, but if they'd had a deal like that with Beto O'Rourke, and the idea was this is going to publish in June, um, if they had stuck to their original deal or stuck to that book deal, it might be a little more understandable, but it's still awkward now that he's running for president. Ross, let's switch gears and talk about state government for a minute. And we know that we've got a huge budget uh, battle that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. But talk to us about the talk of swapping sales tax for property taxes. So there were two versions of this. One of them is Charlie Guerin from Fort Worth had a bill, has a bill, that would allow on a local option basis voters to say, we want to increase our sales tax up to two cents and completely wipe out our county or our city property tax. And it would be local option, wouldn't work everywhere. You know, for example, in his own place, um, the county, Tarrant County, could raise enough money with about 1.1% uh, increase in, or a, a percentage point increase of 1.1% in its sales tax could wipe out its county property taxes but the city of fort worth isn't big enough or is too big to wipe out with two cents so it would be ineligible but that would be a local option thing available to a lot of people around the country or around the state and it's you know sort of popular and compact and it's a local option thing so that was one version another version that's going around is a statewide plan uh, dan huberty has a piece of legislation larry taylor has another one that's kind of like it that would raise the state sales tax, which is now six and a quarter percent, um, to you know another number, presumably by a penny, to seven and a quarter percent. And doing that would raise a little bit more than five billion dollars. And raising five billion dollars and using that money for property tax relief could actually get some, uh, make an impact on what property taxes are out there. The problem at the bottom of these kinds of things is that it's difficult. To since the state doesn't levy a property tax, that's to counties, cities, school districts, hospital districts, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. It's not allowed to dictate what they do. So it can put more money in the school finance system 
and tell them, you know, to compress their rates, but it can't hold them down and, you know, keep them out of appraisal creep and all of those kinds of things that make your property taxes go up. Yeah, Ross Ramsey with us here uh, as he is each week. The people can begin to watch the budget battle, which really fires off when things get hot and heavy in the legislature. I said in the next couple of weeks, when do you expect the budget to come to the floor for a vote in the House? Uh, in the House, it'll be up next Wednesday. Okay. So a week, a week from today, uh, I expect the school finance bill about a week after that. As soon as the House passes the budget, they'll send it over to the Senate. The Senate will pass their version, send it back, and, and that'll go off to a conference committee where they reconcile the differences between the Senate and the House. And that's such a regular part of the legislative session that uh, that reconciliation is really an important part. They try to get the budget bills out, you know, in early April so that they still have a couple months to work on things. Uh, so the budget's on track. As we've talked about before, to do the things the state the state leaders want to do, school finance, property tax relief, um, and, you know, a teacher pay raise of some kind, you have to have several bills go together. The budget's one of them. The school finance bill's one of them. The property tax bills, whether it's a tax swap to lower property taxes or a, or the bill that would require an election for taxes to go up more than a certain amount, both have to pass. So all those big pieces are, are slowly moving forward. Okay, your curveball for this episode is the vet school, and getting some texts about that now. Uh, I know that may not be a big piece of what Austin's concerned about, and, and maybe folks covering Austin closely, but it's garnered more attention on the Texas legislature than I've seen anything else garner. Um, what do you make of the vet school, the Senate being short some um, $13 million of what the House has up? Would that be reconciled, and do you think it will be reconciled between the, t the House and the Senate? It certainly can be reconciled. Uh, whether it will, I don't know. Uh, that's part of what the conference thing is about and part of what the, you know, the supporters and opponents of a vet school are going to be arguing about between now and the end of the session. The the regular way, you know, to think, you know, the way I think about the budget is that the House gives its version, goes through a bunch of stuff, gets its detailed budget out. The Senate gets its detailed budget out. They do a uh, they throw them in and do a printout of all the differences, and then they go inch by inch through the budget. You guys want to, you know, you guys want two million over here. We want one million. They figure out what they're going to do. They go to the next item and go like that. The vet school is one of those items. Um, you know, there's a lot of lobbying on it. There's a lot of politicking around it, um, and there's a lot of you know ups and downs and in and outs. You know, I think between now and the end of the session on that particular thing a very high-profile thing in the budget, particularly for something that is a relatively small item in terms of state finance. I mean, you know, $13 million isn't nothing, but in the state budget, it's a very small number. It's called a rounding error by a lot of people around here. Digital dust is one of the phrases for it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's a small amount, but it's a very significant program, and it's a significant high-profile fight between tech you know, maybe A&M, maybe Sharp, maybe, you know, all of those kinds of things. You know that story better than I do. Um, it's it, The profile of it is pretty high. But you know John Sharp better than I do. How often does he lose on something like this? Oh, everybody loses. I mean, and, and you know, the, the thing about this is the legislature is going to look at it and make a decision about whether whether they really care about this and how much they care about it and which side they're on. You know, when you look at it as a legislator, you know, most of the legislature didn't go to A&M and didn't go to Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them certainly did. Some of them certainly represent those schools, and they're, you know, they're well represented up here. But a lot of members are just like, you know, I don't know, do we need a vet school or not? And, you know, so they're going to be arguing that case and not arguing the politics. Some of them are going to be looking at the politics and saying, well, you know, I think it's better for me to go this way or that way. Um, there's a, you know, that one's kind of interesting. It's politics in a petri dish. It's, you know, it's, it's right there in front of you, and you get to watch how sausage is made. You know, usually those kinds of fights are very quiet. They're in the back room. Nobody sees them. 
I, I certainly don't think that's going to be the situation with the Texas Tech vet school. No. Uh, speaking with, uh, speaking of Texas Tech with Ross Ramsey, you took him to the Elite Eight in your bracket. I did. Yeah. I did. That's a good basketball team. You what can I say? Uh, how, why not the Final Four? Because they run into um, something called Gonzaga, which I pitched <laughs> to win the whole thing. They could. <laughs> they could throw. You know, I mean, who knows? Um, I, I just, you know, I'm I'm so accustomed to doing my brackets. Like, you know, like most of the people I know, I do my brackets. They play the first weekend. My brackets are completely blown, and then I'm just about just watching basketball. Yeah. And I thought I'd throw it up before before it blew up, just so I could have a moment when it was perfect. Yeah. So um, you're probably not accustomed to talking about your brackets on the radio either. But um, I know people like some Ross Ramsey love for the Red Raiders. So appreciate that. It's a good basketball team. Well, uh, yeah, we'll probably take that excerpt out. I'll, uh, I'm going to <laughs> flying out the, tomorrow afternoon, and um, I'll let Chris Beard know that you think that this is a good basketball team. The Fair executive enough. editor of the Text Tribune, no less. You can follow him at Ross Ramsey on Twitter, and uh, follow every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He's got a new piece that comes out on TexasTribune.org. Ross, thank you, bud. Always a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Ross. Get out with Ross, and we've got Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions, coming up here shortly. Stick right with us here on the other side. Going to go do a little capitalism. Be right back with you on the program. Shake the dirt off your shoes. Come over, take a seat. Knock that chill off your bones. Got food on the fire. Can I get you some to eat? Make yourself at home. the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. I'm a big, big man, not just in size or in stature, in terms of space that can't be filled. I'm a bottomless canyon, down a drop spill. Yeah, I'm a bottomless canyon, down a drop spill. Hey, welcome back in for all your... This segment brought to you by Jay Leeson Real Estate. How about that? That's For all fantastic. your industrial, commercial, residential needs, you can give me a call. You trust what we say about place on this program and how we deliver what we deliver to you on this program. You can trust that we'll do the same for you and your own needs and whatever needs those are. In real estate, contact me, 806-543-1317. That's 806-543-1317. Also email j.leeson at mcdougal.com. My March Madness bracket. Just go on record. I'll put Ross Ramsey on the hot spot, so I'm going to tell you mine. I've got uh, Duke into the Sweet 16, but getting knocked off by Virginia Tech. And you may say I'm crazy. Virginia Tech beat Duke on February 26th. Um, Michigan State taking the East bracket as the number two seed. That's what I got. Izzo and his boys. Gonzaga going all the way to the Elite Eight, only to get knocked off by Texas Tech. Also, Murray State beating Marquette. I'm... I'm telling you history right now that's yet to unfold i got kentucky going into the elite eight in the midwest only to get knocked off in the final four by unc my eventual champion there unc i do think um kansas will get knocked off by auburn in that bracket as well in the south tennessee all the way to the final four virginia to get knocked off by tennessee in the southern bracket OU over Mississippi State uh, Oregon with the upset over Wisconsin and my Cinderella is UC Irvine UC Irvine to knock off Kansas State in the first round advance over Oregon only to be defeated by uh, Virginia and uh, told you about the other side of the bracket also going to just take St. Mary's over Villanova because 
like a good Cinderella story. He's with us each week. His name's Mike Bazaar. Is there a way, Mike Bazaar, to hack the tournament? Ooh, well, I mean, there's people involved. That's harder. I mean, there's always, look at Pete Rose, right? I think this is when you get into the social aspect of it. You could try to get a team to throw a game, but you got to convince everybody on the team. So there's got to be a lot of money there. Yeah. But, I mean, it'd be possible. Typically, <clears throat> that would get around in college athletics. I, I would think it would. It's a little harder. In pro, you got to, you know, you had to keep Pete Rose quiet. In college athletics, you got to keep a whole team and a coach and a bunch of other people all on the same and page. The guys at the end of the bench. Yeah. You got to keep them quiet. That's it's, it. I, they won't have seen quite the same meal ticket. How you been doing? I'm fantastic, man. I can't complain. Life well, is grand. Glad that you're back out and uh, another edition. I know that we've come to be termed as this this segment, the tinfoil segment. <laughs> telling you. But there are solutions, even bizarre solutions, well, we, that need to be solved. That's it. I'm telling you. So we get out on some limbs here. We do. And I think the hard part is, is everybody thinks tinfoil hat. The problem is, and like I was talking to my little brother last night, he was asking me advice for home security stuff, like what's overkill for his router and, and some of his other things. And we were talking through it. And I said, you know, you're wanting to use a VPN at your house, which I think it's great to use a VPN if you're out in public on public Wi-Fi and whatever. I said, but what's the point? You have Google everything. Google already knows everything about you. Like, they are the worst Wait, offenders. V- VPN. Yeah, virtual private network. So a VPN encrypts the data on your phone or your laptop and sends it through a tunnel, essentially, to whatever server you're connecting to and then lets it go. Anything between your phone and that server can't read the data. So if you're on Starbucks public Wi-Fi, I can probably see what's going on with your computer because we can see it. But if you have VPN, you kind of have this encrypted tunnel and it helps protect you. So VPNs are great when you're out of work or out of your house or whatever. But, you know, he was a little overkill on, on it, I think, to try to do it at his house. Um, but on that note, if you go look, there's a couple of easy VPNs you can get that are like Nord VPN and a few others. You can buy an app. It's a few bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Or there's a free one from Cloudflare. If you look it up and uh, like you can install it on your phone, you turn it on and all of your search queries and stuff go th- not through Google or your ISP or anybody else. They all bounce off of these guys and then go to Google. But it stops the snooping in between. You just want to stop the snooping. Stop the snooping. Who's the guy who snoops at Starbucks? The hackers, because then they you crappy website, and I get your password, or I can get in the middle, do a man-in-the-middle attack, and then your info's flowing through my router. It's really actually pretty easy. About 200 bucks, you can buy one on the Internet, not even the dark web. You can buy, go Google Pineapple Router. You can go find one online. And you can buy it, and it will spoof the Starbucks Wi-Fi and set itself up to look just like it. And then you think you're connecting to Starbucks, but you're really connecting to my router, and now I can see all the data you're sending and receiving. Pineapple what? Pineapple router. Yeah. Or pineapple access point. I'm just, I don't go to there's Starbucks. Your, there's your tinfoil hat for the day. Two, I'm not going to get on the Wi-Fi there. Yeah. And that's what, use your no, data plan. Here's the thing, is it it's some places, Mike, my phone... I swear. You have AT&T, don't you? Later, oh my gosh, if I ever run for anything, they're going to take these interviews that we do together. You know, I'm going to sound like the crazy guy. That's why I'm resolved not to run for anything. But I do have AT&T. Every time I drive up to Home Depot, I'll look at my phone, check out Twitter, what's going on, and I'm on their internet. Yeah. So somebody could pineapple Home Depot? They they could. Ugh. They could sit out in the parking lot, and that'd be easier, right? Because their access points in the building, and I just sit in the car, and all the people in the cars near me will connect. But I would be the most boring guy to pineapple, though. Probably. Like, but if your credentials oh. are going through unencrypted, or you've used a bad website, not like a, a dirty website or whatever, but the, the website wasn't coded correctly, and they had some kind of flaw, I might mm-hmm. be able to see your password going or whatever and that's what they're snooping for you know who needs to be listening to all this are millennials and um yes and they do and uh mike you've got some findings on what really pushes the buttons on millennials i do so they they've released this study and this was some cannabis company that actually did it but they interviewed 2,000 millennials and they said pretty good access yeah so what stresses you out and they asked them and and what's interesting and the reason why i thought this was applicable to our technology segment is is a 
significant amount of this revolves around technology. But I think it's stuff you and I don't even think about. And so, like, the number 16 thing for stress list is... I don't know how many. Uh, this is on 20, but is the check engine light coming on? Like, that's not something I stress about. And when it does come on or whatever, if you don't know what it is, take it to the dealership. Take it to the car guy. It doesn't. I mean, the number one thing is losing your wallet or credit card, which I guess that would be a little stressful, but I don't think I'd care. I'd call the company and cancel it. Number three, commutes or traffic delays. Like, that doesn't even register on my stress level. Because you live in Lubbock. Even when I lived in Denver and other places, unless it's making me late somewhere for an important meeting, who cares? Number six, slow Wi-Fi. Like, when in your life have you stressed about, ooh, Wi-Fi might be slow at Starbucks today? <laughs> like, this is not something that registers. And my kids could not even imagine what it was like to do the dial tone yeah. startup. Bacong, bacong, bacong. With internet. Yeah. yeah, modem's dialing out. I just, slow Wi-Fi 6, your phone battery dying is number 7. I, I, that's... Like, that's not stressful to me if it happens, you know. Number 10 is forgetting your phone charger. Uh, 12 is paying bills. Like, I guess if you don't have the money, I see where that could be stressful because one of these is student loan payments. But your but, point is that how technology, technologically centered these things they are. They are, yeah. Number 14 yeah. is your phone screen breaking. Like, these are the things that stress them out. And I, it does, I mean... Don't get me wrong, I'd be upset if I broke my screen, but I don't. it wouldn't, like, stress me out and ruin life. I'd, well, that sucks. You know, I'd probably have a bad half an hour, and then I'd forget about it because it was in my pocket. Mm-hmm. But if you stare at your screen all day long. And so what was interesting to me is, I, I mean, number 20 on this is washing the dishes. Like, how is that stressful? And so I just read it and thought, you know. That's it, whenever I watch all the videos. That's whenever <laughs> I catch up on podcasts or whatever, because I do the dishes at my house. Yeah. Not Maytag she, or Whirlpool. No, she does. Well, oh, hold on. I load the dishwasher at our house All and right. unload the dishwasher. Yeah. She takes care of the laundry like 75% of the time. Yeah. It's kind of the trade-off. But yeah. I kind of look forward to the dishes myself. Oh, yeah? Yes. Yeah, stress-free. You know, think about it. Stick it in. Our kids do them, so I, don't, I got out of that because now it's the kids' chores. But... <laughs> How, no, this this dovetails to me, and this is a little... How old should a kid be whenever they start doing the dishes? Well, our 11 and 9-year-old do the dishes. Yeah. So <clears throat> the 9-year-old sometimes needs some coaching, but in general, they can load the dishwasher. They know it shouldn't have big chunks or whatever, and they do a fine job unloading and loading the dishwasher at 11 and 9. So, right. yeah. But this, I think, dovetails a little out of technology, but there was another article I saw that said, basically, we're not equipping kids to for life. And, and when you look at number 20, washing dishes, number 19, what to wear is stressing you out, that's helicopter parent. That is, here, use your phone. Here, you know, like, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want you to throw a fit. It's abdication of responsibility, I think. And and I don't say that to be harsh, but, I mean, seriously, I just, I don't know. I, this, this whole list of stuff, I just look at it and go, this isn't something that registers for Overly stressful on a day-to-day basis. From a cannabis company. From a cannabis company. And the funny thing was then they compared it to older generations, and it was like nuclear war, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Great Depression, you know, terrorist attacks, all these other things. And then here you got millennials saying, man, my Wi-Fi might be slow. My, 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 My wife just said I need to unload the dishwasher. Mike, Am I get in trouble here? Yep. Thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> Mike Bazaar with us here. Um, some other things we need to get into, Mike. Yeah, uh, so today Windows pushed out, Microsoft pushed out um, an update, and it's going to start warning people. In 2020, January of next year, uh, Windows 7 will no longer receive updates for security. So it's going to be a gaping security hole. If you have any compliance for your office, HIPAA, PCI, if you accept credit cards, medical office, that kind of thing, it's a compliance issue because part of compliance is how do you update your computers. Why? Why is it stopping? Because they don't want to support it anymore because it's like a 12-year-old operating system. Okay. So I, I'm a Mac guy, so I don't even know what Windows 7 means. Yeah, so it's now it's Windows 10, right? And so it's basically you need to upgrade to Windows 10 between uh-huh. now and January. Got a lot of time to do it, but 
plan that into your budgets if you're a business um, or even personal because like I say in in January it's going to become a big security hole what happens is in February they'll release updates for Windows 10 and probably 70% of those will apply to Windows 7 but they won't actually release the update for Windows 7 so uh, hackers will reverse engineer the patches the security patches and then they can go attack Windows 7 and that's the kind of stuff that'll start happening next year. Y2K. Well, not Y2 exactly, but yeah. zero two zero. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, you just need to make sure you update, or you will be more vulnerable to hacking and so security. So that's issues. like leveraging people to upgrade. Like I've not ever ever heard leveraging people. To no, upgrade. they did it with XP and Vista and some did other they? stuff. Yeah, with Vista they they did a big campaign and seven. Again, did. And I'm a I'm a Microsoft guy. After the show, I'm gonna ask an Apple you, guy. I'm, you just said I'm you were sorry. a Microsoft guy. Sorry, I'm an Apple guy. Don't I got to talk to you about getting the Office thing on my computer after the show? Yeah. But, uh, January 2020. Yep. You're out of luck. You That's better it. be up to date. Need to do updates. How so. much does that cost? So it depends. If if you bought your computer and it was a little bit older one, they ran a free campaign for a long time, a few years back. And if you have a computer that qualified, you can still probably get Windows 10 upgrade for free. Um, if you just go buy it, it's like 100, 120 bucks to get the upgrade straight from Microsoft. If your computer's three, four, five years old, I would weigh out the cost first getting a new one, just because they're all so much faster now. Um, but again, you just what fits into your budget and what's no. worthwhile. Hmm. Uh. What, uh, there was something else we wanted robocalls. to talk about. Robocalls. Robocalls. The bane of everybody's existence. On cell phones. On any phone. We've still got our home phones so our kids can... Do you? Yeah, it's How a, many people still have a home phone? Do you know the numbers? I don't. I know it's way down. And even ours isn't... A, it's a VoIP phone, right? So I pay eight bucks a month or something for it. But the only reason I kept it is so that our kids always have a phone around if they need to dial 911. Yeah. And it's pegged to our address. So as soon as they dial, even the three-year-old could dial 911 and it would instantly give our address to dispatch or whatever. So... That's the only reason we've kept it around. Otherwise, yeah, we would cancel it. You're probably a it. better parent than I. We, <laughs> Charlie knows that there's a problem. He says, Alexa, call daddy. Yeah, Alexa, call mama. Yeah. No, and that's not bad, right? I mean, they know how to get help, and uh, and I think that's a big thing. And so we've just had the phone around. The truth is, I bet pretty soon you'd be able to tell Alexa you have an emergency, and it'll connect into police or fire or whatever else. So um, that's the main reason we kept it. But robo-dialing has been obviously a huge deal. Everybody hates it. They say right now 50% of all phone calls they think are robo-dials, and they're just fake. So I've started a new anti-robo-dialer campaign. Um, Every time I get one, I answer it, I get to a person, and then I scream until they hang up. Um, I'm just trying to get blacklisted. But that's if you get to a person. That's if you get to a person. Lots of times it just answers... It's like, I guess, checking to make sure that you answer? It could be, and some of them are actually trying to get... they, They found this fraud going around for a while where they would try to get you to say yes into the phone and, and then they can take your snippet me. i did that i yeah and there's no telling what i signed up for so now you're gonna start getting all kinds remember of stuff. i texted you whenever yeah. that happened it's like what just happened yeah. and i said i don't know but that was right at the time that scam was real big they were trying to get people to say no yes. you knew at the time and i still think about that every <laughs> once in a while in the back of my head and think there's no telling what <laughs> What I've done. Well, and it is. It gets into this whole deep fake thing, and we'll get to RoboDials again in a second. But um, it gets but back into... Well, hold on. Yeah. Couldn't they already take my voice on the radio and yeah. just turn it into whatever... Oh, I'm sure they could, right? Okay. You, but you're a radio personality. How many people have the radio recordings that are publicly available? I know. You know I'm not concerned about other people. I'm concerned about me, Mike right. Mazar. Well, they could take it off of videos on Facebook if you made them public or whatever and right. duplicate your voice. So, RoboCalls. AT&T and Comcast have, have uh, they've well, as an industry, they've come up with this new, they call it Stir Shaken, which, you know, I guess everybody in telecom likes to drink. Um, but it's the Stir Shaken protocol, and it is a way to authenticate that that number is really that number. Because what happens right now is they spoof a number, and you've probably got a robocall, and you dial it back, and some guy answers and goes, I didn't just call you. And they spoofed that guy's number. So they are using just internet dialers. They spoof numbers from your local area code. So it makes it seem more credible. And then you get the phone call, you answer it, and they try to sell you a car warranty or new credit card stuff. AT&T and Comcast have successfully tested uh, this authentication method that if a number is being spoofed, it will reject it and say that number is spoofed, it's not real and authentic, 
And so we know that that's a bad number and kind of like they do with spam, like spam email right now. When you send an email, you have records that we create online, you know, for customers or whatever. And it basically says, these are the places that are okay to send email from. If it's mm-hmm. not one of these places, it's probably spam. So your spam score starts to go up and up. And at a certain point, filters will throw it away or just reject it altogether. They don't do that with phone calls, and they've been way behind the times doing it. So this new stir slash shaken, you know, authentication protocol is helping them to do that. So AT&T and Comcast are the two that have led with this right now. Everybody else, they say, is working on it, but they have publicly come out and said in the last couple of days they've successfully tested it, and they're hoping to roll it out in the next few months. But they've got to get it to play with everybody, right? Verizon's got to get in on it. All the local telcos, co-ops, you know, phone co-ops, like South Plains Telephone Co-op. All Why those guys would they not? Well, they will, but what's the cost, right? If they've got to put in equipment or install stuff to, to work with the protocol, that's the roadblock. Otherwise, they could just say, everybody flip the switch and do it. And so I think it'll get adopted quickly because it's a huge problem and there's a lot of money behind it and there's a lot of government pressure. You know, I mean, people are pushing the FCC and everybody else to, we got to figure this out. We just have too many stinking robocalls. No. So, um, robocalls is not on the millennial list. It's not. It, uh, you know, I mean, phone screen breaking was forgetting your charger, losing your keys, but, you know, that doesn't stress them out to get robocalls, I guess. Okay. Robocall is not a problem. Choosing what to wear, yet again, still yep. a stressful item. There you go. Uh, <laughs> speaking of not having problems, people can get a hold of Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions at? Yeah, BazaarSolutions.com or 806-853-7757. Maybe we'll do a giveaway one of these days and give out tinfoil hats. You should do with that. With B- Bazaar Solution logos um, yeah, on Yeah, i got to see if I can do that. Find tinfoil hats Love with a logo it. on it or something. Love it. That'd be great. Love you, Mike Bazaar. Thank you for your time, buddy. Yeah. Going to get in to a quickie break. Be right back with you right here on the other side. You're listening to The Other Side of Texas. I'm Daniel, the Digital Millennial Guru. Stay tuned for a couple spots from our sponsors. They keep the show going. Thank you. Welcome back to The Other Side with Jay Leeson. Hey, welcome back in. I'm leaving on a jet plane tomorrow. We're going to do best of on Thursday and Friday here on the show. Uh, it won't be new podcasts. We'll make up for those next week. And uh, I'm leaving on a jet plane, going to go watch those Red Raiders do their thing in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'll either be home on thir- on Saturday if something cataclysmic happens, but plan on being back on uh, Sunday evening as with a Texas Tech team, not with them, but rooting on a Texas Tech team that is headed to the Sweet 16. Just backing up, we've had Chris Beard on the program, had Tech coaches on the program. I'm a big fan, and not just on the radio, but in real life, and looking forward to all the fun that is to unfold going to be really interesting the next couple of weeks in the Texas legislature. Just want to let you know that we're going to bear down on that. We've They're finally getting into policy and uh, showed you some good stuff from Charles Perry on rural hospitals today. But going to get into the budget debate that's going to go down a week from today, as Ross Ramsey told us earlier, and then the school finance battle that will come the week after. Going to hunker down into those things and get more people on the program down in the legislature to let us know what's going on. I have gotten complaints that we've not had representative Frulo on John Frulo out of Lubbock and uh, plan on making that happen for you in the days to come. Um, 
I think those are all the book notes that I have. I I hope that you heard what Ross Ram- Ross Ramsey worked for John Sharp at one point in time, and you know, whenever and he even qualified. And this is becoming the issue right now. Is Texas A and M as an institution and all of its alumni against the vet school, or is it just John Sharp and some members of the board? Because those are two, what you don't want to mess with in Austin are two systems that are at odds with one another. Uh, That's like getting out in the middle of two bulls in the pasture. If it's just a few people in a system, that's one thing. If it's system versus system, then that's another. And that would make sense from, and I'm not a political consultant, I just play one on the radio, but it would make sense as to why there have been Texas A&M officials that have taken two op-eds across the state to say Texas doesn't need two vet schools to make it look like two systems against one another. And my prediction is this. The more it's perceived to be John Sharp versus Texas Tech, the better it is for Texas Tech. And I recall, I'll have to go back and listen to the audio, but I do recall uh, Chancellor Ted Mitchell who on this program said, I don't think it's, I think it's just us against one person, not against the system. And the more tech is able to make that argument, the more they will be heard and it will be time for vet school action in the state. But for now, the action is for me to get home. I got to get home, going to get home above average dinner great family waiting for me there at the ponderosa until next time do what we always say here and that's rave on buddies rave on as we strive on here on the other side of texas facebook twitter and uh at ostx show on twitter you can download the podcast anywhere the podcast is available appreciate you hanging out i hope that you found this to be original smart and funny programming and I appreciate Mike Bazaar coming out and Ross Ramsey being a part of the program. We'll see you next time right here on the other side of Texas. Not ever gonna find us.